0: You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Um, pull out your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have the app, open it up. I believe we got the notes in there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, you can follow along with us here this morning. God's Word is alive and active. God's Word is something that is not just, well, I've read that verse, or I've read that chapter, or that book before, and so therefore it's done. I now know it, I've mastered it. The scriptures tell us that if we are constantly pursuing, if we are constantly seeking, He will constantly be revealing Himself to us through what? His Word, His Word. And so as we go through 2 Corinthians here, I want you to see Paul's reminder, Paul's revelation, Paul's simplicity back to the people of Corinth to return to their first love, to return to the one who brought them out of the hopelessness they were in, to remind them of where their strength and wisdom comes from as we move into the second part of his letter here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. Remember when I came to you? I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In fact, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power." so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written from Isaiah, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love them, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand this gift that God has freely given us. As Nick read from 1 Peter, right? He says we have an inheritance. It cannot spoil. It cannot fade away. It's this gift that we have. For some of us, it feels like a gift that's been put behind, remember the show Get Smart? Remember all the doors he'd have to walk through, different types of locks and funny things? For, for many of us, it feels like God's gift is behind something like that, a bunch of trap doors, locked doors, and we're trying to figure out how to get to it. And in, in some ways it is. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the mysteries, the deep things, the spiritual things, well, they're understood through God's Spirit. This is what we speak, verse 13, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through His Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But here we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. So now Paul's going back to when he first came to them, right? And he's reminding them, look, when I first came to you, I did not come to you as men and women who had already had the Spirit of God and begin to instruct you on the deeper things and the relationship of God. Instead, I came to you as infants, as ones who had never had his Spirit. I introduced his Spirit to you, and through his Spirit's through his spirit, he brought you to life. This is what Paul's saying. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you who were not ready for it. Indeed, now this is harsh. You've heard me t- say this before, but Paul's going to get a little tough here. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not just human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? I love that line. What is Paul? We're only servants to whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each a task, I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but God has made it grow. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Do you bow your heads with me? Father, we come into this place today with one desire, and that is to know you more, to read the word, to take communion, and to fellowship with one another. I pray in the reading of your word here this morning, you would reveal your spirit to those who are seeking it, and to those who come this morning In any sort of pride or arrogance from the world and the weak, would you bring humility and repentance, Lord, upon us all? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's message is titled, Into the Deep, Into the Deep. In my blog this week, I told about a story when I was a kid, early teens, and I went on a youth trip out to the ocean for the first time in San Diego, at least the first time I could remember being out there and being allowed to be set free into the ocean and Uh, Anybody remember their first time seeing the ocean, seeing the waves crash, feeling the power of a wave hit you, being shocked that it's so strong? Uh, If you've never been there, if you've never done it, the power of a wave is like nothing you've ever felt before, right? It's horrifying. You can feel the sand moving underneath your uh, feet, especially if you're in San Diego where there's always constant undertows which is what I got to experience, and so as I stayed in the shallow parts of the water, things were fine, and I enjoyed the waves, and I kept, you know how it goes, you sort of keep venturing further and further out, and uh, with the help of the undertow, which are constantly in San Diego, that's also pulling you out without you even knowing it, and I remember after one wave crashed over me, and I was tumbled up in it, and I came up, and was looking around for my friends, and didn't realize how far away I had gotten from where our youth group was, and, uh, I went to stick my feet down and there was nothing there. And that panic that overcame me, right? Every Jaws movie I had watched, every, uh, every thought of just absolute certain death, all came back to me as clear as day in my mind. I began looking for sharks and eels and uh, you know creatures of unnamed descent and basically just became horrified. And what was more horrifying to me was as an undertow goes, it pulls you not just out, but it pulls you away too, right? And as I looked up, I I was not only so far away from the people and the ground and safety, I was also getting pulled out to the deeper things. And as horrifying as that experience was, I was grateful that day that God had allowed a surfer who was out there, because that's where the good waves are, saw me, this little teenager panicking, struggling in the water, and allowed me to grab onto his board, and he swam us in. But here's the thing. Paul, as he's talking to the people in Corinth, is calling them out to the deeper things. You see, the surfers swim far out past the shallows because that's where the excitement is. That's where the real action happens. That's where the waves break better. That's where you can enjoy the ride of a good surf. And so Paul is reminding the people of Corinth, when I came and met you, we stayed in the shallows. For the nearly two years I was there with you, we stayed in the shallows. We taught, you learned the basic things of Christ. You learned the basic things of God. Remember, the people in Corinth was mostly a Gentile group of people, so they did not grow up hearing the name Yahweh. They did not know who Yahweh was, so Paul is teaching them this whole new understanding of who created them. And in the midst of it, though, he's not using wise words. He's not using philosophical statements. He's not using the things that the Greek people, uh, smart arguments, right? He's just talking about this Jewish carpenter who was crucified. And through God's Spirit, God's Spirit in their lives began to reveal His presence to them. It's amazing begins to reveal his presence. So now five years later, we know that Paul is writing this letter because the church is disunified. The church has allowed all sorts of garbage into their midst and all sorts of false teaching into their midst. And so as Paul comes back to them, he says, I taught you these things. Apollos taught you the deeper things, right? This is another interesting thing. This is why some people said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, is... Paul came teaching the basic things to unbelievers who are hearing about Christ for the first time. Apollos came then teaching some of the more meat of the gospel, some of the more theological understandings, the Old Testaments, the prophets, the judges, the kings, the Torah. He began to teach them the background of Yahweh and who God was. And so much like you see today in the different types of um, uh, denominations amongst Christians, is we have people who say, oh, well, I'm of this because we only study really deep theological things and we use big words and confusing statements and read only Old English for our Bible and things that really make us feel good, right? And so this is what is going on there and Paul's like, hey, you talk about wanting deeper things in your life, you can't handle the deep stuff. You can't handle it. You're sitting here fighting amongst one another. If you think understanding theological ideas such as eschatology or Christology or all of these ologies, but you don't love your neighbor, then you don't know anything. This should hit every single one of us right in the heart. You don't know anything. So I read a book this week, it came out last week. Uh, by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. And I read it and then I reread it and read it again. And uh, man, he brings up some really good points as a pastor to sit and look at. One of these questions that he asks that I want to ask us here this morning is this If an unbeliever comes to one of our services, if you're in here this morning and you would say, I'm an unbeliever, or I'm seeking at least. Will they observe anything supernatural about the way we love one another? Think about that question for a second. If an unbeliever walks in here, will they observe anything supernatural about the way we love one another? You see, the early church, we're told, Acts loved each other in a way that was beyond human capability, in a way that was God-inspired, that was the wisdom, was the deep things of the Spirit, and it was that love that drew so many people to God. It was that love. And as I thought about this and I thought about LifePoint, we do some really nice things, We have upgraded the coffee three times in five years since I've been here. (laughs) That's right, that's right, three times. We have hot chocolate now, I'm told. (laughs) Those chairs back over there and back over there, they used to be hard plastic ones. I even think I heard some of us getting some of them out today, because we were full, fantastic. We went ahead and got you comfortable chairs. We upgraded because we love you. We keep the AC on, although not as high as I would like it right now because I'm sweating. (laughs) See, there's all sorts of things that we can look at and say, well, yeah, we love people. We give away 12 to 15% of every dime that comes in here out to outside ministries, which last year was more than $130,000. We love people. Isn't that supernatural? Isn't that incredible? It's okay, it's a start. It's a start, but you know what? There's charities all over this world and in this country that don't know the Lord, don't serve the Lord, don't love the Lord, and they do those same exact things. The new theaters being put in have reclining seats and they'll serve you food in them. How is that any different? A supernatural love is what drew people to Christ. What has happened to that in our church? Have you thought about that? Was that just for a season? Was it just for a time? Was it just for the people of Acts so God could establish his footprint and ultimately 2,000 years later what he wanted was for people just to come and sit for 75 minutes in a place and then be able to go home and watch football? We're even bringing back the 8 a.m. service, but it's not so you can watch football. I even had it asked, well, football starts in September. Do you want to bring it back in September? And I said, no. (laughs) They can go for an entire month, and you can TiVo that game. (laughs) Oh, but pastor, then I'll see it on social media. (laughs) Don't, Don't you start. Supernatural love. Supernatural love. I'm going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but... As I read Chan's book, that one brought me that one brought me to my knees, and I just I wept because I said, "Do I have that? Is there a supernatural love in me? Because if I'm leading this church, if God has asked me and called me for this time to to be a leader, is there a supernatural love? Second question, when you come here each week, are you stirred to action?" As it's commanded in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, are you stirred to action? When you woke up this morning and, and, and you wiped the sleep from your eyes and maybe you took a shower, splashed water in your face, and you're awake now, did you ask God, God, who am I going to meet at life point today who I can help? Who, who am I going to sit next to? Who am I going to see in the lobby? Who are you going to reveal with your spirit the deeper things that are going on in someone else's life so I can show them your love? Probably, probably, probably none of us. Because our mindset and our culture about church is a place to come and receive. And, and, and I don't want to harp on this, and I don't want to get off track on this on the consumerism mindset mindset of church, but I just, I want us to think, right? It says in the early church they got together and the apostles devoted themselves to the teaching of the Scriptures, communion, and fellowship, and so that's what we're doing here today. We're devoting our time to the reading of Scripture, communion, and fellowship. And if you think to yourself, I've been stirred to action, well, then bring up examples to yourself of how you could not have done that thing you did this week or today without the help of the Spirit. Without the help of the Spirit. I gave $5 to someone on the side of the street. I was stirred to action and I followed the scriptures and I gave them $5. Did you need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that? (laughs) Well, you don't know me, Pastor. I'm incredibly tight, so yes, I did. (laughs) Okay. Okay, we might need to talk about this a little more. Can you look and say, truly, it was God's spirit upon my life that allowed me to forgive, that allowed me to have a conversation that was difficult, that allowed me to reach out, that allowed me to give out of my savings, that allowed me to give out of my need, not my excess. And there is something that God placed on my heart and by the power of his spirit, yes, I was stirred to action to move on someone else's life. These cannot be one off events that we cultivate and we can look back on it this year and say, I know the three times this year the Lord moved on my heart. Because if that's all it is, then the church, his body, will continue to be irrelevant in our culture. Third question. Are the things that God considers sacred what you consider sacred? Are the things that God considers sacred the same things you consider sacred? So, oftentimes, we see in, in stories throughout Scripture where people looked at something that God gave them and then uh, said, That's neat, that's a nice setup. But I really think it would be better like this. One prominent example is Cain and Abel. God gave a sacred offering. This is the offering to be given. And Cain said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring something better. I'm going to bring something. You know what? I can't bring that. So I'm going to bring you 10 of this. How's that? How's that, Lord? Is what he considers sacred what you consider sacred? And lastly, and most importantly, because with this one, it allows us to do the first three, are you honored to be a part of God's church, to be a part of His body? Is it an honor? Is it something you treat with absolute respect? Do you treat your Sunday mornings, do you protect that time? Do you protect your heart around that time? Is it an honor to be considered a part of the body of God? Francis Chan in his book, Letters to the Church, says this, I can't help but see our own lameness (laughs) in failing to see the beauty in God's design for the church. Heavenly beings are shocked by God's church says that in the scriptures. While many on earth yawn, the early church didn't need energetic music, great videos, or attractive leaders, whoa, slow down, or elaborate lighting to be excited about being a part of God's body. The gospel was enough to put them in a place of awe. Just the gospel, just the disciples' account of who Jesus was. That was it. They were in awe. They couldn't believe it. How in the world are you taking in sick, infectious, diseased people? Let me tell you about Jesus. And as they spoke the words to somebody else, God's spirit would then fall on that person, and they would say, I want more. You see that? He continues, aren't you at least, I love, that's why I've always liked Chan, but I love his honesty. Aren't you at least a little embarrassed that we need that extra stuff? It's not all of church people's faults. For decades, leaders, he says, like himself and like myself, have lost sight of the powerful mystery inherent in the church. And instead, we run to other methods to keep people interested. In all honesty, we have trained you to become addicted to lesser things. We have cheapened something sacred, and we must repent. And I couldn't agree more and I repent you've seen this over the last couple weeks changing up the flow of service all of this isn't an effort and a an attempt to not make service so consumer oriented but to begin to change in such a way that we're going to provide opportunities um, for people to be stirred to action for, for people to be healed, for people to be prayed over, for people to come in repentance. We're, gonna, we're, we're changing up this order a bit so that church becomes a place of movement, not a place where you just come and sit for 75 minutes. It's imperative as we look at church, as we look at what God is calling us to do as people, that we understand the difference between what we want and what God commands, okay? The Pharisees and the people that we see God bring most of His um, disdain towards, right? It's who Jesus mostly condemns throughout the Gospels, are Pharisees, are people who took the 613 laws of the Old Testament and then added hundreds more to them. Like the story where Christ is sitting down with his disciples and they don't wash their hands before they eat. Cleanliness is close to godliness. <laughs> and the Pharisees say, how dare you? And he said, that's not one of my father's commands. That's a command you made up. Now, is it good to wash your hands? Yes but you put the washing of hands over the importance and the loving of the individual. And for that, I am disgusted by you. You have put your want over what my Father has actually commanded. And one of the issues in church that Paul is speaking to in Corinth in our church today is that we don't actually know what our commands and what are just church traditions Right? I wear a button-down shirt every week from stage. Command or tradition? We stand for worship, command or tradition? Interesting. Ooh, I love it. A little controversy, a little tension. Can you feel it? The tension in the air right now? We take communion when we gather together, command or tradition. this is good. This is good. So the Corinthians wanted Paul to teach with the same rhetoric rhetoric and eloquence that the Greek orators spoke with, right? They wanted a preacher who would give them human wisdom on how to live life, on how to be successful, on how to be comfortable. Sound familiar? They wanted a step-by-step guide on how God was going to help them uh, in, in their sickness and in their problems amongst family members and in their political affiliations and, and a country that now uh, looks down upon them because they follow this Jesus Christ. And they're saying, where, where is God? Paul, come and give us some understanding that we can use to combat these things. And Paul reminds them, I came to you with one message only, and it's the only message you need, and it's Christ in the cross. If you have that message, hear me this morning, if you in this room this morning have that message and you have his word, then you have everything you need. You have everything you need. If you have laid your life before him, if you have repented and said, God, I am yours, then you also have his spirit to interpret the deep things of Scripture. In 1 through 5 it says that they wanted Paul's faith to rest in human wisdom but Paul wanted it to rest on the Spirit's power. They wanted Christian celebrity. They wanted somebody that they could praise and that they could talk up. But Paul refused to let it be about him. Instead he gave them what they needed instead of what they were demanding. And friends, I can tell you this morning that if we feel that our need is for better lights, different worship, bigger building, more comfortable space here, then we're missing our actual need. We're missing what it is that we actually need, because the truth of the matter is, and we'll see where God takes this, but the truth is we don't need any of this to gather together and worship. We don't need any of this to gather together and be stirred, as Hebrews says, to be stirred to action, to be kind to one another. We don't need any of this to meet together and fellowship and take communion in one of your homes. We don't need any of this to be able to sing worship songs in a gathering of 20 to 30 people. This is a luxury. Is that a weird thing to say? This church, this building is a luxury. And for a very wealthy people, which we are as Americans, we've taken this luxury and assumed it to be a right. Soren Kierkegaard wrote in Provocations uh, in 2002, he wrote this, in 19th century Denmark, he was appalled at the state of the church, which he believed had grown apathetic and insincere. He believed that true Christianity is costly and that it demanded humility because the gospel exposes our failures and insists that we can only find life through the grace of God and that our self-esteem comes under attack when we acknowledge that Christ alone saves us. Now listen. So when he sees the church in a constant attempt to make Christianity more popular, more palatable, less offensive, he wrote... If this is what you're going to do, if you're going to strip away the offense from Christianity and try to make things fun and easy for everyone, then lock the churches, the sooner the better, or turn them into places of amusement which stay open all day long. Alan Hirsch, a megachurch pastor in Australia, echoed that statement and he said, if you have to use marketing and the lures of entertainment to attract people, then you will have to keep them there by that same principle. Right? win them with entertainment, and you will have to keep them there with entertainment. For a whole lot of reasons, this commitment seems to get harder year after year, and we end up creating a whip for our own backs. See, as American Christians, we fall into the trap of being more concerned with what God will tolerate in our lives than what He desires for our lives. Have you ever asked that question? Do you think God will allow this? Do you think it's okay with God if I go on this vacation, if I buy this house? I mean, I went ahead and bought the LTE, the luxury package on the car. I don't think God minds. It doesn't say not to do that in the Bible, right? You seen the Babylon Bee, it's a Christian satire site. I saw this great one that said, uh, felony home robberies on the rise in the Christian community because it doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. You have to think about it. Now what we need amongst ourselves is not what God will tolerate, but to ask ourselves, what does he desire from me? What does he desire from me? When Jesus was approaching the cross, he prayed a fascinating prayer, and I'll close on this and invite the band out. The prayer was for his disciples. In John 17, 20 through 23, he, writes that he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their and love them as much as you loved me. Jesus' prayer, Jesus' prayer was that his church would be unified. And that believers from all over the world, every walk of life would be one spirit. Why? He says it here. Because if they are perfectly one, He says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. Guys, as we close here this morning, when I ask, and I'm talking about unity, and I'm talking about a supernatural type of love towards one another and being stirred to action, I'm not saying go start another program. I am not telling you much to Sharon's dismay to go help with the children's ministry. I am not telling you that you, to, in order to fulfill this command, go start a small group in your home. I am telling you this because the world looks at the church and laughs at it because it's, it's as, as Chance said, it's pathetic, it's embarrassing at times. You claim to serve a supernatural God and have supernatural power to overcome the hopelessness of the world, and then you go and you sit for 60 to 90 minutes in a place, and then you leave, and and, and there's no change in anybody's life, and there's there's no dramatic supernatural working, so it's silly. And we've all been a part of it, and part of it is this, part of it is just culture, it's just what we've known because we grew up with it, because it's what our parents did, or it's what we've seen modeled before us, but I'm telling you, there is a greater model than what man has made, and it's what Jesus gave us. He gave us this model for reaching the lost. He said, Do you wanna reach the lost? You wanna reach the broken? Then be united in one spirit. Love one another with the ability and the power of my spirit on your life. Love the person next to you. Sacrifice your time and your money for them. Help them. And when they ask you why they're doing it, tell them because Jesus Christ gave everything for me. And that's why I want to do this for you. They will know you by your unity. They will know me by your unity. Are you encouraged by this this morning? Are you challenged by this this morning? If it makes you sort of look inward and feel a little guilty, good. That's okay. I've been feeling that way all week, and I just wanted friends. That's why I preached this this morning. I had a whole nother message. It was flowery and fun, and we, we all were going to walk out just sort of skipping, but then I, I felt bad, so I wanted you to feel Unity is the only real strategy that we can have that will impact the world. And so I encourage you here as we bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to take communion. We've dedicated ourselves to the reading of the scriptures. We're going to take communion, and when you walk out of here, I better see fellowship. You better not. I know who you are. You just make a beeline for the door, and you head right out. I've got pastors stationed at every exit. You are going to fellowship. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I repent. I repent as a teacher, as a pastor, for falling into an ideal of consumerism in your church. Forgive me. Forgive the leadership of this church. But Father, as, we, as you have revealed to us truth and your spirit upholds truth in us, give us the courage and the boldness to be stirred to action to ask for supernatural love, to to ask for a selfless love for the members of our family. And God, for those in here who are on the fence about whether you are real or any of this is true, would they see undeniable evidence in these areas of our walk? Holy Spirit, Fall on this place. Jesus, as you, as we seek the wisdom of your spirit over the wisdom of the world, fall on this place. We have prayer partners that are up here every Sunday, and I encourage you this morning, I encourage you not to come up because you have an issue or because you're struggling with something. If you are, come up. That's fine. They're here, but they're on both sides. But I encourage you to come up this morning to just stand in agreement with somebody and pray and say, God, help transform our church. Help transform me. Help start with me. Help transform me. And I just encourage us to, to move this morning. And while we're doing that, also taking a time of communion and the musicians will just play here behind us and we're going to close in worship but as you come up you can take the bread and you just dip it in the juice and as Paul is going to talk about later here in his letter to Corinth I encourage you uh, don't partake of communion unless you first have a relationship with Christ okay that's uh it's something that Christ calls us to but only if it's something we have a relationship with him first. And we'll talk more about that later and why that is. But I encourage you to take this time. Not every church will do communion every week. Not every church will give you four to five minutes to just sit with the Lord and just be in awe of what he did for you. Be in awe and reverent, just honored to be a part of his body. That's what we're looking at this morning. As we partake of the bread, which he said in that room is his flesh, and we dip it in the juice, which is his blood, we remember the sacrifice that was given by God Almighty. Let's pray and bless this. Father, we bless this communion now. And I bless the taker who receives of it, that it would be the reminder of what is real and what is important in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people said, amen.